0: The first part of our reading this evening is from the book of Isaiah at chapter 42, and we'll be reading verses one to nine, then breaking and reading from verse 18 onwards. Isaiah 42, reading from verse one: "Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations." My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Verse 18. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. Who among you will give ear to this? will attend and listen for the time to come. Who gave up Jacob to the looter, and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. But now, thus says the Lord, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Amen.
1: I'm going to take us through um, this passage of Isaiah. We've got 42 verse 18 to 44 verse 5. It's a big chunk, but just to help you through it, as Malcolm's already read some of it, to help you with the structures you see on the sheet It goes, there's a big problem, there's a promise from God and there's a proof of what he's going to do. And he does this cycle, Isaiah does this quite often through his book. So just to kind of help you with what's going on, that's what it is. So I'm going to read from 43 verse 8, pick up our reading, and I'm going to read right through to 44 verse 5. Isaiah 43 verse 8, and that's on page 603 in the church Bibles. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me no God was formed nor shall there be any after me I I am the Lord and besides me there is no savior I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses declares the Lord and I am God Also henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I sent to Babylon, and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and a rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honour me and the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. Now this is halfway through the the cycle that he has. So he has two cycles. He says the same thing. He repeats it to emphasise his main points. Then he starts again with the problem and the promise. Verse 22, he starts again. Yet you did not call me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought wheat cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your father, first fathers sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary, and deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call in the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. Let's pray before we begin. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you we get to gather this evening to sing your praises, to hear what you have to teach us from your word. We pray, Lord, this is a big passage. We pray we'd understand the simple message of the gospel. Our hearts would be warmed to Jesus and warmed to you. And we'd remember just how sinful we are and how graceful you have been to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So tonight's passage starts at 42, verse 18. If you want to flick back there, that would be great. Malcolm read it for us from 18 to 43, verse 7. And what we have to understand is... These verses are shocking. 42, 18, 19, and 20. It would have gone like an uppercut to an Israelite listening to this. They would have been absolutely shocked. Israel has been called God's servant. Flick back to 41 verse 8, the page before. God says to Israel, But you, Israel, my servant. And then at the end of verse 9, he says, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. So when Israel heard 42 verse 1 that we also had read tonight, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Israel thinks they are that servant. We heard last week that God's servant was going to bring justice to the world. 42, verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons. The Israelites would have read this and thought this was talking about them. This is talking about us, God has raised us up to bring justice to the world. If you imagine a kind of UN, Senate type thing with all the countries lined up there and Isaiah they there reading out his book and he's reading 42 and Israel would think, this is great. They'd puff their chest out. They'd maybe walk down to receive some plaudits. They'd have this swagger on them and think, we are great. God is going to raise us up to bring justice. Now listen to verse 18 that comes. After all that talking of this servant, Isaiah says, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger, whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one? Or blind as the servant of the Lord? Just imagine the shock of that. The punch to the gut. Puffed up Israel would sit down very quickly, and they should, because God is going to deal with them directly. That servant I spoke of is not you, Israel. You are not that servant. You have not been my faithful servant, so I have to send another. And what's great is this servant is going to be the servant who's going to bring Israel back to be that servant. Israel expected to be that servant, but they find out that they are blind. This other servant, who we later find out is Jesus, would make it possible for them to be the servant. And tonight's passage looks at why, the problem that they have, why they have failed in their job. But by the end of it, we will find that there's a real tangible hope, despite the shocking start to this. And my hope and prayer for tonight is that through God's word, we will understand more of what is promised to Israel But my real prayer is that we are left with praise on our lips for the God who makes promises and keeps his promises time and time again. That we would understand our utter dependence on God's provision for us. So what is Israel's problem? Why have they failed? Why are Israel not the servant who brings justice to the world? Well, the verses tell us they are blind and they are sinful. because they are sinful. The problem for Israel is that they're blindly sinful, blind to God and blind to their own sin. They're not doing the job that they were meant to do. Just look at the language it says in verse 19. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger? If a servant is to do their job as a servant, to serve, they have to be able to see. They have to know what they're doing. Or the messenger, what kind of press secretary, is deaf? How can he tell any memos, any points, any information when they are oblivious to it? And he goes further, he follows through with me. We're going to run through these verses because there's a lot to cover, but it's really great when you see how it all hangs together. Verse 21. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. God was happy. He wanted to magnify his law through Israel, his servant, to show the world how good it was, how glorious it was to live God's way. But the problem we've been seeing throughout Isaiah is that they're in exile. They're prisoners in a foreign land. It says they're looted and plundered. Prisoners in a foreign land, the Babylonians, came down, ransacked Jerusalem, grabbed them, took them back across the Middle East, and imprisoned them in Babylon. Israel's in bondage, stuck in a foreign land, worked like slaves, governed by another ruler. How are they meant to be the light to the world when they are like this? Verse 24 carries on. Who gave up Jacob to the looter, and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, and whose, name, whose ways they would not walk? and whose law they would not obey. They were meant to be God's bright shining light to the world, like a loudspeaker telling of how good it was to live God's way, to live God's law out. But they didn't pay any heed. They were not God's servants because they didn't walk in his way. They didn't listen to what he had to say. They didn't follow his laws. They looked nothing like the God they were meant to be resembling. Nothing like the God they were meant to represent. They were completely faithless to this faithful God. They were faithless with every idol that tickled their fancy. How were they to be any sort of beacon to the world of how good it was to follow God? Then, verse twenty-five. So God poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all round. But Israel did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. God poured out his anguish. He's saying, that's why you're in exile. That's why you are where you are, because of your sin. And it still not worked, still not paid any attention to it. Did not take it to heart. They were sent to exile as this restoration project to reform them, to turn them around, but they still haven't turned around. They're still blind. The deep-seated problem of sin wasn't dealt with. What we have to understand tonight is this problem of sin, this blindness to God, this utter rejection of his ways, his words, and himself is true of every single human on earth. This blindness to God, this rejection of his ways created in his image, we have been utterly faithless. 100 out of 100 of us, 10 out of 10, every single person in this room has not fully followed God's ways, have not always obeyed his laws, have not always made them look glorious. Like faithless Israel, we have wholeheartedly been faithless to God. We took what God had given us and turned our back on him. I'm saying this and I'm going to land on it a lot tonight because the grace of the gospel will come later, even in these verses, but it comes later in the book. But to truly understand the depths that we were in, to know fully God's resolute devotion for us, we have to see how resolutely we detested him. We have to understand our sin, our aimless wandering around, groping in the dark, for anything that would help. Our inability to see God or worship him as we should and as he deserves. We see later in the chapters how this develops and unfolds. The reason for going through Isaiah at the pace that we're going at through in Chalmers is to take slices of the gospel message and just focus on them week by week painting a picture bigger and bigger. We'll get to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, 54, and 55. But to get there, we have to just sit solemnly, soberly, where we are just now with the problem of our sin. Our number one problem. And this is Israel's deepest problem. They have this capital P problem of sin, their number one problem And now because of that, they have this minor, in comparison, problem of exile. Stuck in foreign territory, away from home, their situation seems absolutely hopeless. But. 43, verse 1. I love it when the Bible throws in a but. All this of verse 18 to 25 is 100% true. And despite this, God makes a promise. Verse 1 to 7 of chapter 43, we're going to read it. And you just need to listen to the language of this promise. To the sinful, faithless Israel, God makes a promise to them. Follow through with me. You've seen the problem now, this is the promise. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honoured and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, I will gather you up. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What a wonderful promise. God says, I created and formed you. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. Chosen, redeemed, created, formed. Verse 2, through waters I'll be with you. Rivers won't overwhelm you. Fire won't touch you. God's protection is promised. And why? Simply because of verse 3. Why? Because he is the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's just incredible. Remember how bleak the situation is. Remember where they are. Remember who this is to, people who are completely faithless to God. Then verse 4, some of the most endearing language in the entire Bible. You are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. God says this to sinners, downright faithless people, I love you and you are precious. This God is so different to the God we're told about in TV and media and school, in the lecture hall with our colleagues at lunchtime. God is not some far off deity, a puppet master in the sky, a kid with a magnifying glass. He's the eternal, everlasting God, Yahweh, and he deeply cares for his people, redeems them and pays the price for them. God says, I am your saviour, I will save you, I will bring you back. From all corners I'm going to save you, bring you back. Everyone who is called by my name, I will bring home. Look at verse 7, created for my glory. Israel was created for his glory. God who made and formed will save his people to be his people for his glory. This servant will be back to servant duties once more. They're going to be called back to Israel, away from their exile, back home from where they've been ransacked from. And we're flying through this at some pace because we have a lot of ground to cover. And I'd love to spend more time on these verses just looking at the loving language that God has. But to see this in its full picture, you can read this later tonight before you go to bed, but to see us in its full picture, it's even more glorious. Verse 1 to 7, he makes this astounding promise of saving them from exile. And verse 8 to 21 is the proof. It's the proof of why they should believe what he says. The major problem is the he promises to rescue them from exile. And God goes on to back up his claim. Say why they should believe in him. He wants Israel to know unequivocally that God will do what he says he will do. So to do this, we jump into verse 8. He sets up this courtroom scene. We've seen a couple of these through Isaiah. This one is slightly different. But he sets up this courtroom scene in verse 8. God says, Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All nations gather them in, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. So God has said this promise and he kind of sets up this duty with the whole world there to see. And who does he call to the stand? He makes this promise to Israel. Who does he call to the stand? Who does he bring forward for questioning? Read verses 10 to 13. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Who does he call? He calls Israel themselves. You are my witness. You are the proof that I will rescue you. And you're sitting there. You can just imagine if Israel's sitting in the stand after being puffed up earlier. They're sitting in the stand, ready, sitting in front of the jury. And they think, what me? How am I meant to prove anything? How am I some sort of witness to you? I'm sitting in exile. Miles away from home. Miles away from any sort of safety. How am I meant to prove anything? And God says, verse Eleven, I, I am the Lord and besides me there is no saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed. You you are my witnesses and I am God. And keep following through verse 16 and 17. The inquisition goes on further. What God does, he looks back to Exodus where he saved Israel once before. Just listen to the Exodus language. Imagine them standing at the other side of the Red Sea. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they're extinguished, quenched like a wick. How is Israel God's witness? How are they to know what he says he will do because he's got prior? He's got previous in doing this. He's done it once before, he'll do it again. Exodus where Israel was in bondage in slavery, stuck in a foreign land, worked like slaves under the rule of a foreign god. Sound familiar, right? Seems very similar to where they are right now. And with Exodus God plucked them out, took them across the desert, defeating the superpower of the world at the time. And took them back to Israel, to Jerusalem, without Israel lifting a sword. God's already saved them once before through nothing of their own doing. He's got history of doing this. He's already chosen them, declared them, saved them and proclaimed them. Of course I'm going to do it again. I've saved you already. Why wouldn't I do it again? Why wouldn't I be able to do it again? verse 18, he carries on, Remember not the former things, nor the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm doing a new thing. Exodus, exile. Of course I'll do it. I've never not pulled through before, is what God says to them. And then look just at the way he finishes, verse 21. The people Israel whom I formed for myself that they may declare my praise. We flick back to 43 verse 7. It's the same. At the end of the promise he says, everyone who's called by my name whom I formed for my glory that he's doing this so they will be his witness once more. His servant, he's not abandoned them. He's calling them back to sing his praise. He's chosen his people. It's great, isn't it? God's done it once before. Of course he's going to do it again there'll be a highway back to Jerusalem right through the desert. The promise of this new Jerusalem we've been hearing about all this time. It's wonderful. It's great. God promises to rescue them. He proves it, or he says he proves it by what he's going to do, what he's done before. He's going to do it again. So it's problem solved, right? All seems well. They will at some point be going home out of this Babylonian captivity. God has promised it and God hasn't not pulled through His promise before. But think about it. They'll make it back. They'll get back to Jerusalem. They'll make reforms in the way they live, in the way they are. They'll vow to worship God more, to listen to His words to follow him wholeheartedly, to pray, to read, to attend every Bible study, every synagogue meeting that they have, every single Sabbath. But it'll never last. It's never lasted before. Why would it last now? Sheer effort will get so far, but the deep-rooted problem is exactly the same. They're still blind, and they're still sinful. And what, I mean what's to say after this inconceivable rescue mission? They won't just turn back to the way they've always been. So what do they do? And Isaiah's brilliant. Isaiah's great when he answers this question. The reason he does this repeat is to emphasize his point. To push what he's saying to the front. And he starts again this promise, this problem and then promise cycle that he's got. Verse 22 to 28 is the problem again and verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 44 to verse 5 is his promise. He starts the same pattern. And this is my final point. The stakes are raised in this cycle. The problem is the same, but the stakes are raised. They promise that they'll be saved from exile, but what about their big problem? Verse 22. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob... But you have wearied me, O Israel. Weary of me, O Israel. You do not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You're tired of me. You've not brought me sacrifices. Burn offerings you have not worshipped. They haven't worshipped God. They haven't worshipped him how he's asked. And they've not worshipped him as he deserves. They haven't burdened him with offerings or wearied him with frankincense. But what they've done, verse 24, the end of verse 24, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. It's the exact same deep rooted problem they've always had. Even if their physical situation changed, they still have this deep rooted problem. It's damning. God has been relentlessly faithful with these people time and time and time again. He has chased them. He has rescued them once before. He has chosen, declared, proclaimed them, put his mark on them, stamped them as his own, and he promises now to take them out of exile. And they still heap sin upon sin upon him. They are tired with God. They've actually tired God with their sins. They were meant to be burdening the altar with sacrifices and they're burdening him with sin. And it's always been the case. Verse 27. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. It's always been the case. Nobody, not even their best people could worship him properly without sinning. Not one. No one could deal with this deep, Rooted problem that they have, that we have. It's always been the case. And listen to what God says He will do at verse 28. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. The picture is bleak. The picture Is damning. Israel has forsaken God time and time again from the very beginning. There's this image of Israel time again, time again, being faithless, deserving absolutely nothing. This country was meant to be the servant, this beacon to the world of God's glories, God's law. But they're wearying him, heaping sin upon him, and absolutely blind to it. And again, this is heavy stuff, but I want us to wrestle with this. To reflect on the pain that this causes God. The utter disdain that our sin shows to God. The ever faithful, ever loving God and our explicit rejection of him. Without Jesus, this is exactly what we were like. This is where we were, heaping our sin, heaping our rebellion, in the dark, stumbling around, burdening God with our sin and deserving of destruction. Deserving of the anger of God to be poured out, this fire, it's damning every single one of us. Tonight, in Edinburgh, in Scotland, around the world, every single one of us. And again, verse 1 of chapter 44. But that gospel supplying word, that table turning word, that life saving word. But God being rich in his mercy. Verse 1, the promise. Remember the darkness, now see the light. The grace glowing light, the promise. His promise to this problem But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call in the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And name himself by the name of Israel. God's promise to pour out his spirit on his servant, his faithless servant. Again, making them his people, his chosen people. He waters the dry desert land. Blessings on the descendants. The people will be called by the Lord's name. They will be God's people and he will pour his spirit on them, giving them life. And actually, I don't know if you noticed, but back in verse 25, halfway through the problem, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember not your sins. He's promised to blot out their sin. Wipe the slate clean. Remove the stain. Remember the sins no more. He's promised to pour his spirit that gives life and opens the eyes of the blind and take away the sin of the world. The chronic problem will be well and truly dealt with forever. Entirely. The problem that they've had from the very beginning, time and time again. The deep-rooted heart problem the heart will be made new. It's going to be dealt with. And again, this is not because they deserved rescuing from their sin. Remember, this is still the Satan blind servant of 4218, the faulty beacon. And God tells them, I'll deal with it. I'll do it all. The warfare of exile would be ended. The iniquity would be pardoned. Israel's deep-seated problem was promised to be dealt with. Life was promised to them. To save them, to give his spirit, to pour his spirit out on them. The turnaround is just absolutely remarkable. There has never been a more undeserving rescue than this. Yet this is what God promises to them and he promises it to us. Israel read this and just looked forward in kind of vague hope. We stand in fulfilled truth, verified truth. Israel looked forward fuzzily, kind of at a rescue from their sin, but had no idea where it was. We look back clearly and know where that rescue comes from. We stand here rescued by believing in Jesus. Isaiah writes this looking forward. He's in exile 600 years before Christ came looking forward to something that would happen, having no idea when it would come or how it would come. We stand here in 2018 looking back 2,000 years and know exactly what it was dealt with. We stand in such a better position than them. The problem that 100 out of 100 people face, 10 out of 10 people, the blind to God, sinners rejecting God, we here tonight know that this is dealt with in Jesus Israel could be the servant once more because of Jesus. We could be that servant because of Jesus. Jesus dealt with our rebellion to God, our blindness to God. Verse 25 is true because Jesus' death on the cross blots out our sin, our transgressions. God remembers them no more because of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross means that we are not left to utter destruction, reviling by God. He took that upon himself. Jesus' death on the cross means that God's spirit is poured out on us. We are given life. Our eyes are opened. We're no longer blind. Jesus' death on the cross gives us that true blessing in knowing God. Jesus deals with our capital P problem of sin or turning from god marks us as his own and lets us say that i am the lord's it's a wonderful thing it's a fantastic message the sin problem is an epidemic every single one of us needs jesus every single one of us has the opportunity to turn to jesus every single one of us can have life in his name through his spirit and that is fantastic through nothing that we deserve Don't be left in the dark. Don't be left blind. Don't be left thinking there's more time. God calls us to turn. He offers us, offers us these fulfilled promises in Jesus. And we just have to trust and believe in them. It's amazing, just as I finished, God rescued once in ex- Exodus, He rescued twice in exile. And we know he's rescued from the big problem in Jesus. Israel stood there and looked back on Exodus to prove that he was going to do exile. We look back on three different promises, absolutely confirmed and true. We know God will keep his promises because he's got prior, he's got previous in doing this. We can leave tonight thankful to God, praising His name for his sheer, downright, preposterous grace to us. Mercy that is totally undeserved. We hold on to these promises and know, like the Israelites who hoped that God would bring them home, we can stand and sing. Remembering Jesus' sacrifice tonight, as we have communion, is what guarantees that. And remember that one day God will call us home. To the perfect home because of Jesus it's absolutely astounding and it's absolutely amazing. What a wonderful promise we are given and we need to be ever thankful for the word but that gives us any kind of hope. Isaiah spoke of all these problems, this sin that every one of us has, but in Jesus that is dealt with. In Jesus we are given life through the Spirit being poured out. I want to just flick forward to finish in Ephesians chapter 2. To see what this looks like for us. Paul writing post-Cross, post-Jesus, speaking of us. And I was just struck by how similar this is. Ephesians chapter 2, that's on page 976. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says to the Christian. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Just listen to the similarities to what we've seen in Isaiah. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and just skip down to verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith this is not your own doing it is a gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'll pray to finish. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this message. We thank you, God, that you are a promise-keeping God. We thank you, God, that Isaiah looked forward in hope. We look back at the cross where our deep-seated, deep-rooted problem was dealt with once and for all, giving us life. We thank you and we praise you for this. In your son's precious name, amen.